Blog Talk Radio. Not only a, 
a nice way to live life, but actually a very financially profitable way as well. Uh, you know, it, it, it sort of brings up the question, well, so are you and John saying nice guys, nice gals, nice people finish first? Is that the basic idea? No, it really isn't. Uh, the fact is being nice is a great thing, and, and being nice is certainly going to help you be successful more than being a, a nasty son of a gun is because uh, obviously people like you more and they're going to want to do uh, you know business with you and, and be more inclined to that. But the fact is it. Uh, you know, being nice in and of itself isn't isn't enough, and I I can say that be, I, I believe because you and I and everyone listening to this, we all know plenty of people who we would probably describe as simply nice people, who we would also have to describe as simply broke people. Yeah. So obviously, being nice in and of itself, while that's a great thing, that's not everything. Uh, it's also a matter of doing the correct things in the success process. That allows a person to be successful and uh, finish first, if you will. So, uh, you know, the premise is basically that person who can take their eyes off of themselves and focus on others. Be instead of being I focused or me focused, being other focused. That's the person who's going to accomplish the most, and it's going to be both in the short term and the the, uh, the long term. It's based on on five laws that John and I provide in the book. Uh, the laws are the law of value, the law of compensation, the law of influence, the law of authenticity, and the law of receptivity. Now, you know, Bob, that's a, you know that last law, the receptivity law. That's one a lot of people struggle with because, you know, they would think, you know, when the first time I read it, well, you know, if you're open to, re- if you're receiving, doesn't that mean that you're taking and being the exact opposite of being a goal giver? But you know, you explained it one way, and you know, we can go in a little bit deeper here. Is that if you prevent somebody from uh, you know, if you if you shut down the receiving process, you're really robbing the other person the ability to give something to you. Well, and I agree with that. But you know, it's it's really it's like breathing out and breathing in. Is one better than the other? In fact, in the in the book, in the story, we have we actually have that scene where where Pindar, the main mentor, asks his mentor Joe to breathe out and hold that breath to the count of thirty without stopping, without breathing in, and Joe can't do it. And in about ten seconds, he's gasping for air, and <laughs> finally says, "Well, you know, that, that's it. I, I can't can't do it." And Pindar says, "Well, what's the matter, Joe? You can't do it." Joe says, "No, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well." And Pindar says, "Well, Joe, what if I was to tell you it's been medically proven that it's actually now get this that it's healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in." And Joe just laughs. He says, "That's silly. You know, you, you've got to do both. You've got to breathe out and you've got to breathe in." Well, exactly. You breathe out, which is carbon dioxide. You breathe in. Is, is either of them more righteous than the other? No. They're both natural. And just like giving and receiving, giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin, and they work best in tandem. Now, why would we think that by receiving, especially after we've given, so we've really earned the right to receive, why would we think that's taking? Well, it, it's a great question, Stuart. And I believe it has to do with the model of the world we've been hit with and we've been given uh, since we were born. And whether, you know, and perhaps through a combination of whether it's uh, upbringing, environment, schooling, uh, television news, uh, you know, the media, the um, uh, television shows, movie scripts, where so often the message is one of lack, where so often the message is that good people give, but they don't receive. How often do you see in movies and TV shows where the heroes are the nice, you know, the nice people are poor, but they're happy. 
They're always poor but happy, right? And the but they're always being stepped on, put down, put off, put out, taken advantage of by the rich people who are mean and nasty and cowardly and have no soul. And these are messages that were really given from the time we're born. Not intentionally and not for any you know any kind of malicious reason. It's just what it is. It's just the message. It's it's the way the world. Uh, yeah, sort of thinks it works, <laughs> and yet it doesn't. And the and the people who are the uh, you know who are the successful people, they understand that, and they understand that that both giving and receiving are very righteous. They're both very natural, and we should be doing both. One does not supersede the other. That's right. So you know, Bob, that, you know that's a lot of great points there, and uh, I, you know the breathing one just drives the message home. So and and in the book in the first book the goal giver book itself uh, you can tell the difference because one's red and one's green uh, <laughs> in the in the goal giver book itself you, in the, the laws are pretty uh, self-explanatory you know and that's in the, and all five of them need to be practiced on a daily basis in order to really achieve the goal giver model but you know what what did you know so let me kind of backtrack a bit after the first book was published you you know you had a lot of success a lot of uh, raving fans hopped on the bandwagon and you know from you know, everything from, you know, us doing shows like this to what Arlen Sorensen, uh, which you mentioned in Chapter 3 of the Go Give or Sell More book, uh, and, you know, his, his uh, retreat in Iowa. You know, mm-hmm. were you surprised on the uptake uh, in the in the general population of the Go Giver book? Well, what we found, and that's a great question, what we found was it was the people like Arlen, uh, the people like you, the people who are some of the real top leaders in different companies, groups, and organizations who embraced the book right right away and in other words this was not something they learned this is something well at one time they learned but it's not something they learned from us it's something they've been doing and practicing for a long time they embraced the book because they felt that in, in really the credit all goes to John David Mann, who's the real, he was the lead writer. I mean, he's the storyteller who, who, can make, who made the characters and the storyline come alive. Um, they enjoyed the way the story was told and the points were made. And we got many, we received many emails from people, from top leaders who said, this is exactly what I've been trying to tell people. And so what's funny is a lot of people sort of look at how John and I have written the two books and said, you guys really sort of write in a contrarian style where we take the ideas that people have accepted and we turn them on their on their head a little bit. Not the people, but the ideas. And and we agree, but only the only people who feel we're contrarian are those who maybe have not yet you know, quite reach the level of success they would like to achieve. The people who have really made it big and have been very, very successful financially and in the other areas of their life, people who are top leaders, and, you know, these are the people, it was not contrarian to them. That's what they've been doing for a long, long time. They didn't need John and, you know, John or I to, to uh, John or me to tell them that. Well, that's what I'd noticed, Bob, when I read the book the first time, and, I, and when I was in North Carolina, I saw Arlen with it on his desk. And I read, and I immediately bought it at the bookstore in Charlotte, and took it and read it on the plane home. I read it the first time. I went, you know, I've been doing these things. I, well, mm-hmm. I think I've been doing these things for a long, long time, and it's good to see that I'm on the right track. Yeah. And I know for a fact a number of uh, companies that I, you know, that I work with have adopted the go-giver principles as almost like their sales bible. And this, you know, this is the book that all sales guys and you know staff need to read when they when they join up on the company. Maybe I'll just flip it over to Frank here, Bob, and see if Frank has anything that he would like to add from. You know, he's a relatively new go-giver following. And, Frank, you know, what's your experience been like over the last few months? In what regard, Stuart? Just, in, you know, and since you uh, picked up the book for the first time and, uh, you know, started putting it into practice 
some oh, of the core absolutely. principles, or, or have you been practicing these, and this is more of a re, you know, reinforcement that you are on the right track? Well, <clears throat> you hit the nail on the head for me, Stuart, in as much as for many, many years I was looked, I was always perceived to be a little bit different, uh, maybe taking the road less traveled because I was sort of doing many of the things in the book, maybe not in the right sequence or putting them all together. Um, but uh, so many businesses I've worked for over the years in professional sales capacities couldn't understand why I was giving away free information or giving of myself, but yet when they looked at it, they couldn't understand why the relationships I could develop in record time and also the strength of those relationships ongoing, how was I doing that? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't trying to sell people. I, w I was trying more so you know, to, to look at them like Bob says in his book. They're people. They're not prospects. And coming from that sort of a viewpoint, uh, it eliminates uh, so many things because you're more so concerned about the individual as an individual, and things just fall into place. And, and any success I've had uh, to any given kind of measurable degree has been based on the strength of the relationships I've formed and not so much the product. Because so many people are always looking at, you know, listening to their favorite radio station, WIIFM, what's in it for me? Well, that comes through loud and clear. And mm -hmm. uh, Bob and John in their book, it's just so beautiful um, the, the way it's, it's, it's laid out that there's no hook. There's nothing involved. There's not a hidden agenda. It's just trying to be good people, give them timely advice, point them in the right direction, some good information, and good things will happen. I think for the most part, um, most of us out there in sales, uh, to some given degree, have never really examined the self-limiting uh, attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors we have. And uh, once you get those into check and don't have any kind of a hidden agenda and not trying to think of the next answer, the next question, or what's my next in in the, in, in the sales process, um, it works. It just works beautifully. It just flows. For sure. And, and, Bob, I have to tell you a story how Frank and I met because it's hilarious. We were hosting a – I was hosting a bre uh, BlackBerry breakfast one day, and Frank shows up at 9 o'clock when everybody's all wrapping up, and ever since that day we've been uh, – We've been best, best of buddies, and it's been uh -huh. a great relationship. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, naturally we just clicked as, you know, I, you know there was this almost like this chemistry, this, un, you know, this, un, uh, you know under, this understood uh, activity going on between us that, you know, we knew that we were both wired the same way. And uh, I think picking up Go-Giver, Sell More really enforced a lot of the, you know, the parable that you talk about in the book and, you know, really that, you know, why Frank and I kind of clicked as a, you know, as a business relationship and then became good friends is reading deeper into the second book and talking about, okay, let's, let's dig down into these, uh, these five laws and see what each, uh, each one of them means and a little bit deeper. You know, when you guys wrote the second book, uh, was that the natural, the natural intent to kind of dig deeper or was it, or did it naturally occur that way? Well, what's interesting to us is that, you know, people wrote us and said, uh, you know, love the parable, you know, great lessons and so forth. What about specifically for salespeople? And, you know, the answer was, well, you know, the principles are there to blah, 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 and so forth. And said, yeah, but, you know, we'd really like some, some real how-tos and, and just kind of really putting that philosophy. Well, you know, what it comes down to is this, guys, your, your, your customers will tell you what they want. And if you're willing to focus on them and listen to them, they'll give you the best ideas for how to run your business. Mm -hmm. And John and I just got together. We talked to our publisher, and they thought it was a great idea to take the concepts, uh, you know, the five laws, and actually uh, put them into into a, a sales vernacular, a sales context, if you will. 
and that's really how that came about. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, re- I'm a big, you know, as you know, Bob, I'm a big supporter of uh, what you guys are up to here. And you know, looking through the book and you know, and on and reading some of your other material that you wrote on your own, I mean, this is really ties. The Go Giver Sell More book ties it all together. Is what I found. Thank you. And so let's just kind of talk about uh, you know what else is Bob Bob Berg on the books? You're besides uh, an author with with John David Mann and the Go Givers, you also have authored other books. Uh, you know, one of the ones that I uh, I, I frequently go back to uh, to read just when I need a little bit more. Uh, you know, how, what did Bob say about that? Was your endless referrals book and the and the art of networking? And, and Frank kind of touched on it with the the what's in it for me kind of mindset. Uh, is there anything you can share that you know it's goal giver focused, uh, tied with some of your uh, referral based uh, selling or networking that you talk about that you know that you see most people you know when you when you meet them for the first thing, this guy needs to read my book. Oh well, I think the most obvious thing is the person who's just very focused on themselves and their product. And they're not as focused on you. <laughs> and yet, in sales, it isn't about you. And it also, and this you know, sounds like heresy at first, it isn't about your product or service. It's about the other person. In fact, I would say you as the salesperson and your product or service are simply the means to an end, means to the end to help that person get what they want. You know, there's an old story, in, in, an old sales story, that says that uh, every year, millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits are sold. And yet, not one person buying one of these millions and millions of quarter-inch drill bits wants a quarter-inch drill bit. They actually want a quarter-inch hole. The drill bit is simply uh, what we, in the book, we call a MacGuffin. It's simply that, you know, generic thing. Now, again, that doesn't mean your MacGuffin doesn't need to be outstanding. Of course it does. You need to believe in it. You need to know everything about it backwards and forwards. You need to be able to, to help show the benefits, how it will help. That. But the big thing is, will that MacGuffin help that person accomplish the, the need and, and desire um, that they want? You know, as I think it was Frank who said about the, the radio station, or maybe you said it, WIIFM, what's in it for me? Well, that's what that person's thinking. And the fact is they don't care about your MacGuffin. And they really don't care about you. I mean, I hate to say it, but relatively speaking, they don't. They care about what it's going to do for them and how it's going to help them. And that's fair. And that's how it should be. And it's that salesperson who can focus on that. That's the person who is going to accomplish the most. So understanding the hole in the in the piece of wood versus the tool that makes it. Frank, you came back. You came from a uh, you know woodworking background. Anything you want to add to that? Well, no, it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, especially when you mentioned drill bits, I had a good laugh because one of the firms I used to work for is based out of Seattle, and they uh, market to uh, Boeing as one of their key customers in terms of uh, drill twists. <laughs> people call drill bits. So I was having a good chuckle here in the background. And we used to try to sell and market those based on, particularly with Boeing, where quality is so crucial in the aviation industry, uh, not cost per bit, but cost per hole. So that was our different factor. So in terms of trying to say, okay, this bit's going to cost you uh, $3.80, but it's going to drill 500 accurate holes. And as this bit, you can buy it for $1.50, you're going to get 20 holes. So now it boils down to... Um, reframing how you look at it, and now it becomes cost per hole as opposed to cost per bit. So how do I differentiate my product when there's five of their competitors out there 
More often than not, it boils down to the honesty and integrity and the relationship that the rep has got with the client sitting across from them. Exactly. And, and you know, guys, in the last 10 minutes here, I want to kind of shift uh, a little bit and go into, you know, eventually, Bob, we got to ask for the fail. So when, do you, when, when does that person say, you know what, now I have the drill bit to make that hole, uh, and I understand the need that the hole needs to be there, but I have the, I have the MacGuffin to do that. When, when, is the, when is the time to, to make that pitch? Because eventually we have to sell something. Well, yeah, absolutely, um, and, and that's a natural part of the process. Um, it really comes down to this, and uh, you know, you've heard me say this, I think, from stage, and you've you've probably seen it in any book of mine uh, you've read, and that is what we call the golden rule of business, of sales, of networking, what have you, and that is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And absolutely. yeah, and when that has been established. Uh, you know, you, you were talking about the two of you guys just right away, kind of knowing you had a friendship, and, and it's kind of, you know, developed more and more. Uh, I call that a simpatico between you. There's that no like, and trust. And really, that's why we say in the, in the book, you can't, you literally, you can't make a sale. Uh, what you, because you can't make a sale because in a free market, uh, you can't make anyone do anything they don't want. Nobody has to buy from you. So you can't make a sale. What you can do is you can create the environment where a person knows, likes, and trusts you. They respect you. They trust your character and your uh, they trust your your character and your competence. And they believe that you and or your product or service, your MacGuffin, is the answer to their need, want, desire, what have you, uh, whatever you know the MacGuffin is supposed to do. And at that point a sale will be made, and you'll be there to receive it. But you can't make the sale. You can only create the environment where a sale is made, and you're there to receive it. Now, a question comes up at that point, and it's a good question, and that is, okay, Bob, I, I, I get what you're saying conceptually, what you and John are saying, but really, isn't that just, you know, that you can't make a sale? That you, isn't that just semantics? And my answer is, yes, it is just semantics. But sometimes semantics are very important. And in this case, I think what it does, and, and Frank was mentioned, it's the frame of it. See, when you're out to make a sale, it's all about you. Yep. When you're out to create the environment where that person buys, now it's all about them. So you're looking mm-hmm. at the lens of value creation. Sure. So great, great points there, guys. And you know, and, and um, Frank, what can you go on? Can you expand on that lens of value creation for a second? Well. The, the way the way I, I I perceive that to be is I have to put myself a in the customer's shoes, what their needs and wants, and if if I've done my exploratory research properly, ask the right uh, questions, where's the pain, what within the manufacturing process, we'll say use a manufacturer for instance, then I can take it to the next point where I got to make sure that I'm providing true value to the client and he's seeing it as value because people don't like to like to be sold. But they do like to buy. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and if I can, you know, reframe it in such a fashion that he sees the value, it flows normally in the process. Um, and then on your other point, I mean, when you've created that, um, you know, there's no such thing as a hard close anymore. I mean, the consultative selling process has been around for a while, but it just amazes me to no end how so many colleges and sales organizations still are training you in 80 different Joe Girard style closes. Uh, those days are gone. 
I mean, uh, the, but the funny thing is, 80% of all new business orders are signed after the fifth no, and 92% uh, of salespeople quit by the fourth no. 44% mm -hmm. quit after the first no, 22% quit after the second, 14% quit after the third, 12 quit after the fourth no. And 8% of people, of salespeople, get 60% of all new business. But those people that are getting that new business, I strongly believe, are using, without even realizing it, the techniques and practicing the five laws as laid out by John and uh, Bob here in the book, Go Give or Sell More. Thank you. You know, interesting point the, uh, you made, Frank. And, Bob, I think you mentioned Joe Girard in, in, uh, in the Go Give or Sell More book. But he was truly... You know, he, I think he was the kind of guy that threw business cards on the top of Chicago uh, Cubs Stadium or something, was it not? But he, he was really a relationship uh, salesperson deep down inside, though. Yeah, well, here, here's the yeah. thing with – oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, Bob. Uh, no, I was going to say there's two things about Joe. When I brought him up in the book, one of the things about Joe was that he came up with the law of 250, which talked about sphere of influence, simply that everybody knows about 250 people, that sort of thing. Also, yeah, for Joe's, for some of Joe's kind of cheesy stuff like that, uh, he also had some wonderful principles of relationship building involved. He was an inveterate note writer, you know, writing personal handwritten notes to people all the time. His customer service, from what I understand from people, was absolutely exquisite. So, so yeah, while there were some things that kind of would maybe – rub a little bit the wrong way and it, with, with some of the things in the book. Really, I, what I took out of the book was the basic relationship-building principles that he built. And, you know, you don't sell uh, – you don't become the leading car salesperson in the world for, you know, you know, new car sales, individual new car sales for 12 years in a row by just being a, a schlocky kind of, you know – throw business cards all over the place type of thing. That was just one of those kind of things. But but basically, his relationship-building skills were terrific. And you, you know, I know I heard you talk about the value of two, uh, 250 many times. Sorry, Frank, you were going to say something there? No, and I, I totally agree. It's, it's not just using one element. He used all facets uh, within that. Uh, both he and uh, one guy that got me started many, many years ago, Harvey McKay, uh, you know, king of the roller decks, which no uh, younger folks might even understand. But <laughs> um, Almost like I fax machines and telexes for you, Frank? Uh, the telex actually worked. I can still recall people trying to sell a fax machine, and they're saying, well, why would I buy one? Does anybody else have one? That poor guy, for the first two years, trying to flog a, a fax exactly. machine, it was an uphill grind. But yeah. both of those people, uh, both Joe Girard and Harvey McKay, believed in exactly one thing relationships and attention to detail. Mm -hmm. It's the follow up, it's the little things. A handwritten note. Um, you know, Harvey McKay was the one guy that uh, back in the late 70s, I remember telling me that uh, in one of his cassettes uh, that, uh, you know, on the Pearson's birthday, who besides your mom sends you a birthday card? And it wasn't cheesy. It wasn't a sales thing. It was actually from the heart, happy birthday. Well, the McKay Envelope Company wrote more business as a result of sending these handwritten mm -hmm. have a happy birthday note than you can shake a stick at. Well, look at the McKay 66. Exactly. I mean, you know how, but it, here's the funny thing about about Harvey, uh, because he did a for his most recent book, um, he did a campaign where he had, a, you know, asked a whole bunch of us to, you know, to send out emails, interview, do all the, which a lot of people do. But you know what Harvey did? Harvey actually got right on the phone and called us. Awesome. And then after the event, after it was over, he got on the phone and called because I know it was me and a whole bunch of people called personally to thank us. So he just set us up for the next time too. Who wouldn't love to do that once somebody does that for you? And so the the and then uh, he was doing a thing with a friend of mine where he was going to set up an interview, and Harvey made sure to tell him uh, he made the interview for the call where he he gave it where he said made sure to say Eastern time 
to make right. sure the person knew. I blogged about that. Here's yeah. a guy who, uh, yeah, we say don't sweat the small stuff. Great. But that shouldn't be con- confused with paying attention to the important details. Mm-hmm. And the exactly. pros and I, do that. And, I, you know, I, I, I reflect back to uh, something I heard at a dinner one time in Vancouver from a friend of mine who runs an IT company out there. He says, you know what? He said, Stuart, there is no traffic jams on the extra mile. So are you, mm-hmm. are you playing on the extra mile? And, you know, once you get there, like Frank mentioned, you know, 72 or 80 percent of the salespeople or are, are, are business people are are stuck in traffic while you're flowing easily on that extra mile. Bob, we got under we got about a minute to go. What's on the what's what's next for Bob Berg? Is there another book coming from the in the Go Giver series? Yeah, we'll be coming up with another one uh, in it should be out in April of 2011. So John and I are starting to get to work on that now and, and uh, seeing where that that takes us. So that will be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, for those who are listening who maybe haven't gotten either of the books, I do welcome them to download the first chapter if they'd like by going to, they can go to my website, www.berg.com, B-U-R-G.com, and there's a graphic where they can click on there and, uh, uh, you know, they can actually get the first chapters of The Go-Giver, Go-Giver Sell More, and Endless Referral. So, and they can check out my blog if they'd like while they're there. Yeah, I highly recommend, uh, you know what? Don't even bother downloading. Just run off to your local bookstore and pick these up because you won't be disappointed. Frank, any uh, any last minute uh, comments from you? We got 40 seconds to go. Just uh, just uh, so nice and so refreshing to to see uh, you know people like uh, Bob and John uh, taking the time to add so much value to so many professional salespeople's lives uh, by Thank showing you. us uh, you know that there is another way. That good people don't always finish last irrespective of what uh, some doctrine might state, uh, you know, that uh, if you're doing what you have to do and you're doing it the right way and using, as my guiding uh, light anyway, integrity, um, you know, it works. Great. And So, guys, we're out of time. Thank you very much, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again real soon. Thanks, guys. Guys, thank you. <laughs>